Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Voices for Change 2.0, the only podcast that focuses on mental health while mixing in movies, music, books, sports, and pop culture. Here are your hosts, Rebecca and Joe Lombardo. Welcome to Voices for Change 2.0, the only podcast that focuses on mental health while mixing in movies, music, books, sports, and pop culture. Here are your hosts, Rebecca and Joe Lombardo. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Voices for Change 2.0. Yeah. We are so glad to have you with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in with us this morning on uh, the, is this really the last Saturday of May? Yeah. Already? Wow. Memorial, Memorial Day weekend. It's crazy. Uh, we hope you guys have a wonderful Memorial Day. Uh, in, in the U.S. In the United States, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we have to we have to say that because uh, our guest, when we bring her in, will be joining us from not the United States. <laughs> um, she's actually from the U.K., but uh, we'll get in that, into that in a minute. Um, <clears throat> in the meantime, witty banter. Yeah, witty banter. Uh, I, you know, I didn't even like. Usually, I'll kind of formulate like a plan in my mind about what exactly we're going to talk about or whatever. But lately my brain has just been like a sieve. <laughs> just anything that goes in, just it comes out and just is a puddle on the floor. I just can't think straight lately. Ooh, that, that sounds gross. Yeah. Thanks. It's like, that's like goo. Your, your brain is goo. <laughs> yes. My brain is goo. That's, mm. that's a good way to put it. There's, you know, there's uh there's for, for, uh, those of you that are of the older persuasion, such as us, and remember uh, wonderful uh, movie-watching fair such as Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, I don't remember that. So. There is a scene at the end with this little foreigner dude who had previously been possessed, and the possession is over, and he's covered in stuff. And uh, I'll never forget him walking around going, why, why would I make drippings of goo? And it just always stuck with me whenever anybody got any type of gooey stuff on them. Well, thank you for that, honey. That, that well, really helped forward our interview today. Well, you know, Winnie, Winnie Banner. Yeah, Winnie Banner, okay. So, yeah. So So today we uh, are talking with someone that I, I believe I scheduled, gosh, two or three months ago to uh, to be on today. I was really excited to have her. Uh, she has, uh, she was a mastermind pretty much behind the, um, ask me, I'm bipolar movement on, on Twitter it was hashtag ask me, I'm bipolar, I believe. And she's branching out and making it an even bigger, uh, deal than it originally was. And she's done a lot of really great work. She's a fantastic advocate Never has a mean word to say about anybody. Is always really kind and and uh, you know we're just really grateful to uh, have her visit us as much as she can visit us. Yeah, <laughs> over here from in, where she's at, but in, in the UK from Manchester, if you will. Yep. So go, man, you. So please welcome to the show, uh, Kamala Upia. Did I say that Hi, right? Hi. Good no, morning. 
All right. Well, we're just going to call it Apaya. I apologize. (laughs) I got got you, Cam. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just say Cam from now on to avoid getting in trouble. That's fine. Yep. I, it's funny because when you when you told us your name before we started the show, I actually you know I I heard it. I, I know what you said, but I heard it as papaya, so that's how I'm kind of <laughs> like a fruit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know that way I've got it right and I'm saying it right and uh, you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you've already, you've already made me happy today talking about uh, ectoplasm on Ghostbusters. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> See, my conversation, my witty banter was relevant. It was, yes, honey, it was, it was wittier than witty. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> I am, I am truly witty today. Yes, you are. So, um, we'd like to just jump right into our questions if you're ready for us. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the first question that we ask virtually every guest that comes on, uh, it's kind of become our signature thing, and that is, where does your mental health journey begin? Wow, that's a deep question in a way. Um, <laughs> mental health is everything for me. It's my whole life. Obviously, I am not only bipolar, I'm also on the autistic spectrum. So I've kind of always had something there one way or another. Hmm. I think okay. I first first knew about something in my life probably around age three. Um, my parents said, you know, something's not quite right there. Uh, that was more on the autism side, I'm going to guess. By the time I was 16, I got misdiagnosed multiple times, depression, DPD, lots of things, uh, social anxieties, which I do have, but it's not specifically just anxiety. It took me till age 30 to get my bipolar diagnosis. Mm, And then when I went into the psychiatrist at the time, I just remember sort of having this really sort of doom, impending doom feeling. And they were telling me, you know, oh, it's uh, it's bipolar disorder and uh, people with bipolar disorder struggle with this and that and the other. And then I did the usual thing that people my age do and I went and Googled it. And from mm-hmm. that, I found so many things telling me, oh, you know, you're never going to have a relationship. You'll never get married. You'll never call the job down. You'll never finish your degree. And it was just it felt like the end of the world for me. And me being the stubborn mm-hmm. person that I am just went, no, <laughs> I was like, I'm not having this. So I created Ask Me, I'm Bipolar. And the whole point of that was to kind of say, actually, I'm going to do all these things. I dare you to tell me I can't. Wow. That's solid. Mm-hmm. That is that that is a solid just uh, – It's one time uh, my stubbornness has actually paid off. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a force of will. That's the word I was trying to think of was force. But, yeah, it's, a, it's a, just a solid force of will. It's like you're not going to overcome me. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, there's – there's a lot of us that, you know, I, I I don't like to try to speak for other people, but I know from my personal experience, I would love to have been the type of person who could who could have forged ahead like you did and just said, this isn't going to stop me now. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. You can't change it now. But I'm I'm happy for you that you were able to. You know, I mean, it wasn't instantaneous. Move. There was that period sort of of, I'd like to say acceptance, but I didn't accept it very well to start with. And I did have right. that kind of whole, you know, disorientated, who am I, am I my diagnosis? Sort of, you know, I think the best way to describe it is all of a sudden, I wasn't sure who was in control, me or the bipolar. 
Right. And that yeah. was a really chaotic feeling. That was a really kind of out of control. Who am I? What am I doing here? Is this the end of my life kind of thing? And it, it was really dark times for a while. It really was. Yeah, some people have said that that getting a diagnosis after a certain period of time of struggling is a huge relief um, because at least they have an answer now. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I, I don't know if that's the way it went for you. If you, if you kind of struggled with all your other, all the other different symptoms that you were experiencing. And then when somebody finally sat you down and told you what it was, maybe you were able to kind of process it a little bit and say, this, this makes sense. Yeah. I think if I had never have known what it was, I'd have just continued going down a very chaotic path. But finally finding out what it was, it, it wasn't even that much for myself. It was also for the people around me, my loved ones, my family, for them to know that I'm not just making this up and there's something actually wrong. I think that made a massive mm -hmm. difference to how people sort of interacted with me and sort of, you know, the, um, I don't want to say allowances that they gave me, but sort of how they accepted what I could, can and can't do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, um, I don't like using this word, but there isn't really another one that I can think of at the moment because, you know, my my brain is also good. Is goo. Ectoplasm. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it it's almost like it legitimizes things. You know, it's like, well, this yeah. is why I'm this way. I have this particular diagnosis. You know, where people go, oh, well, okay then, that explains it. That's and one way they. That's, that's one, one way. way yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's the only way. It's not the only way, but yeah, you know, <laughs> but you know, and the, and the thing is, is it shouldn't be that that way. Of oh well, you got this wrong with you. Well, no, it, it, love me and accept me regardless. You know, I, you know, yeah, this is what's going on with me. But you know, it's not me. It's not me. You know, I have exactly. this. It's like, like if you have cancer, well, I have cancer. I'm not cancer. You know, unless no, I, you I, know. that is, you've hit the nail on the head there, and that was the thing that really kind of stood out for me. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. it was like, I am bipolar. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I am a person who has my own wants, needs, values, you know, what I think is right and wrong, my own direction in life. And yes, it's influenced by the bipolar and, of course, to some degree by the autism. But it's not the be all and end all of who I am. And it really bothered me that so many people were just like, oh, well, you're bipolar. So this means this. This means you must be doing mm -hmm. this or you must think this or you will act like this. And I'm like, that's not true. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's exactly it. You know, that the it's 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 a double edged sword having the diagnosis because then once you know, while it's great that you know, now people are also assigning whatever yeah. preconceived notions they have about it, you know, and it's like, well no, you know. It's not it's not a hamburger, you know. It's not like <laughs> going to you know, it's not like going to Burger King and getting a Whopper. You know, it doesn't matter where in the world you go to Burger King, you're gonna get a Whopper, and it's you know what's on that Whopper, you know, yeah. with the with the with the meat and the lettuce and the tomato and the onion. But having a diagnosis like that isn't a be all end all. You know, you're not you're not a Whopper. You know, you also get those people that sort of try and put everything that's emotional in general down to mental health. I did have that at the time mm -hmm. with someone I was seeing, and that was quite disheartening well very disheartening to be honest because it was like suddenly my feelings and my emotions are not not allowed they're not valid anymore because it's a bipolar it's not me and that was yeah. quite hard to come to terms with 
And then there's a whole other side to it as well that, that I have struggled with myself. And that's when you start to feel okay or you're having a good period of time. You know, there's always somebody out there that wants to call you out for, you know, faking whatever is actually wrong with you just because you're doing okay right now. Oh, absolutely. I've actually seen so that from my YouTube channel with the comments. So yeah. I'm at my worst most of the time. I've got on my Patreon, I do have videos of me in sort of like more candid sense. But on my actual YouTube channel, they are recorded and edited and, you know, I try to make it as professional as I can. And then people have commented going, well, you don't do this, therefore you're not bipolar. You don't seem to oh be my gosh. in a crisis, <laughs> therefore you're not bipolar. And I'm like, it doesn't quite work like that. That's exactly the same thing I got when I put out my book. Mm -hmm. Repeatedly, I got people saying that, oh, well, that's not how bipolar works for you, for it works for me. I don't think you have it. Yeah. And I got that many times, and it just, it frustrates me to no end. Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, like, just from a basic scientific level, no two humans are exactly the same. Your history is not exactly the same. Your, you know, your psychology, your emotions, your any trauma that you've experienced, what shaped you as a person is going to be very different, which means it will manifest differently in different people. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, and, I mean, that goes back to, you know, the, the title of Beck's book, you know, it's not your journey, you know, and it's not, it was her journey, period. You know, and this is, it was an example of what she went through. And she states very clearly in her book, you know, I went through this, your experience is most likely going to be different. And everybody's, you know, again, we're not all whoppers. You know, it's, 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 you know, we, we all are going to go through and experience different things with these illnesses, you know, um, Absolutely. you know, your experience is different from Rebecca's is different from anybody else that we've had on the show is different from mine, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, just, it's sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's also the side of it of when you are writing a blog or you're writing a book or you're doing a video or a podcast, that is an hour or a set of, you know, a set period of time in your life that you're writing about. It's not always. People don't see yeah. what you are like all the time. And they're making a snap judgment off in my videos. For example, it could be five minutes. And they're going, oh, well, this five minute snapshot of your life means you're not bipolar. I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, you're so insightful. Thank you. <laughs> no. You know, and then the other, and then one other thing that that uh, Beck didn't mention this, but I, I know it's in her thought process is you have those days or hours or even minutes where you feel good, you know, things are going well, you feel a little better, and you take that second to enjoy it, and then you feel guilty because you're enjoying it because everybody else is coming at you like, well, no, you you don't have bipolar or you're not bipolar because you feel fine and. Blah, 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 you know. That's one of ridiculous. the reasons I've had to take myself off a lot of sort of uh, social media forums or groups and things like that because mm -hmm. I could read them and it was just a barrage of negativity on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And even when I'm feeling okay, I'm looking at everybody telling me how terrible life is and I'm thinking, oh, is, am I right? Am I lying? <laughs> is this, you know, am I yeah. is something wrong with me now because I'm feeling better than everybody else? Like. It's just, you know, you've got to be really careful with things like that. It is such an individual thing. Mental health is individual, and I would love people to understand that because the amount of times people have said to me, you have, if you're bipolar, you must do this. 
I mean, I know that the, the criteria for it is in the DSM, and it's a checklist pretty much that says, you know, if you meet all this criteria, then you will be diagnosed as bipolar. But in reality, we are all individual humans, and we will be very different from each other in how we show that sort of the downsides and the upsides. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and along those same lines, um, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions that face someone with um, your illness, well, our illness? Oh, my, my favorite one is the uh, I'm emotionally erratic or I can't make a decision. Or I mean, I did a post once, and it was a bit of a sort of flippant post, but, you know, like with the Katy Perry song and things like that, with the, you know, you must be bipolar because you can't make your mind up. I'm like, I make my mind up very well thank you very much i know exactly what i want to do i know exactly where i'm going and how to get there i just can't do i don't have the energy and i don't have the motivation some days to get where i need to be it's uh i don't know if you've read the uh, spoon theory it was a blog post i can't remember the name of the woman oh that's terrible i was talking about it the other day she wrote it was about uh fibromyalgia and mental health and she was basically saying most people have unlimited spoons but then if you have a mental health problem or a, some of the physical health problems or an invisible illness in general, you get given a set amount of spoons. So in one day, I might be able to complete five tasks, but no, no more than five. And other people are mm -hmm. like, well, you should be able to do this. A video and then carry on with this. And I'm, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with whether I can make my mind up about something. It's got nothing to do with my emotions are invalid. It's got nothing to do with being completely emotionally erratic unless I was off my medication and not looking after myself. I think probably I'm going to, I'm going to make that more succinct. I'm going to say my first, my first answer to that is people thinking I can't make my mind up. The second answer to that is people thinking that somebody who is bipolar, who is medicated and looking after themselves has absolutely no emotional control. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are both pretty solid. Yeah, you know. Hmm. I think anybody that it does happen where you don't, you lose emotional control. I'm not saying that it doesn't. I think before you diagnose, before you realise what you're dealing with, before you put all your, your, your techniques and mechanisms in place to keep you well, then yes, it can happen. It is not a 24/7 thing, and it does mm -hmm. tailor off when you are taking your medication or you know looking after yourself properly. Yeah. Exactly. So talk with us about Ask Me I'm Bipolar and some of the other new projects that you're currently working on. Well, Ask Me I'm Bipolar was a strange one. So I, I obviously got that diagnosis. I went through a kind of really sort of dark time where I couldn't accept it and I was working away. I was a freelance trainer at the time, so I was teaching uh, sort of vocational classes around the UK and I was in Carlisle which is up north from where I am in a hotel room and I was sat there on the bed and I was just feeling really sorry for myself and it just kind of came to me in my head and it was like what if I created a YouTube channel and called it Ask Me I'm Bipolar and then I could prove that I could do these things and it literally <laughs> just hit me like that <laughs> I, it wasn't something that I spent ages working out how to do I just kind of it just came to me in my head and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I recorded my first episode in that hotel room, which was uh, the difference between mania and hypermania. And I was so was scared. Oh God, it was a couple of years ago now. To be fair, I've not released any videos recently because I've had a little bit of dip with, a dip with my mental health 
uh, due to a couple mm. of life incidents happening that I had no control over. But I'm definitely, you know, I'll be back on it in about in next month. I'll be back out releasing more videos. But yeah, I was so scared. I don't think I've ever been that scared in my life. I, I remember sitting on the bed, ringing my best friend, and crying on the phone, and just being like, "What have I done? I've just put this video on YouTube, and everyone can see it." <laughs> yeah. But you know what? That took that takes just strength and courage of conviction to do, and you know, good on you for doing it. Really. Um, and you know, look look where it's gotten you since then. You know, and they always say. You know, a, a journey of a thousand miles begins with that first step, and that was your first step. Uh, so, so as as they say over there, well done you. <laughs> it was actually the best thing I've ever done, if I'm honest. Not only yeah. has it given me the opportunity to speak to other people, speak to like people in the mental health community that I probably never have been able to speak to before, but it actually also got me the job that I'm currently doing because it was based on my ability to edit videos. So <laughs> my day job currently. <laughs> They, I, I, yeah, so I went to the interview and I said, and I didn't put on the application form that I had any mental health because I preferred to talk about it in person. So I told the uh, interviewer, oh, I, I, you know, I, I have bipolar disorder, I live with bipolar disorder, I prefer to say, and then, but I have this YouTube channel and I do this and that. And we spent half the interview looking through my videos and then I was hired. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That's that's really amazing. cool. <laughs> you know. Um, it just it speaks it speaks to a lot of things. It speaks to your talent, um, you know, with video editing. It speaks to your talent with the subject matter, um, everything. That's just that's really really cool. Yeah, you know, and, and cool. I, you know, just for for a little background for you, you know, I, I twenty some odd years ago went to broadcasting school and learned video editing and learned radio and all this other stuff, and never got to do anything job wise with the video editing side of things. And it's always been something that kind of bummed me out, but um, I, I have always been fascinated by it and always thought it was really, really cool. And you know, I'm always watching behind the scenes how they did this and that in movies and whatnot. So um, good, good job. <laughs> <laughs> so I, don't, I know that you meant you mentioned in, in your, your pre-interview that there was a couple of more uh, ask me, I'm <laughs> yes. fill in the blank fill in the blank kind of things that you've got coming up. Do you want to talk about those a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So when I, when I started with the Ask Me on Bipolar stuff, I didn't actually think it would get as popular as it did. That was kind of like a surprise to me. I suddenly started getting lots of messages from people. Uh, I did one video with my mother, which was really popular. Um, and loads <laughs> of people started messaging me and just being like, oh my God, your mom's so you know honest and brave. And it's really good that you put this out there. And I was really, really taken aback by it. And I was like, wow, people are engaging with this content. And I've had one or two people that have said to me things like, you know, oh, your videos really helped me sort of explain my, my uh, mental health to my family. And I thought, that's all, all I wanted. All I wanted was one person to benefit from it, and it was worth it. So I yeah. collaborated then with my best friend, uh, Danielle Beck. She is uh, geek dogs and did on youtube and she lives with disassociative identity disorder so multiple personalities mm. uh, so we started mm. to create a podcast called one of us and um, we've done mm. about five or six episodes on there now and we're just basically having a chat about things it's not anything deadly serious it's more you know a casual environment whereas my ask me videos i try and sort of keep the science in there and back up everything i'm saying with references and the studies that i've found that information out from so she wanted to kind of like follow the format and do 
some videos with me about uh, disassociative identity disorder. So we've decided that we're going to, we started filming those. They're not out at the moment, but they hopefully will be soon. And then I thought about it and I thought, okay, well, I'm also autistic and my life is heavily influenced by the autism as well. So maybe I'll do another stream called Ask Me I'm Autistic. And then another friend of mine, who's also a sort of professional female, she was like, well, I've got borderline personality disorder. Can I host some of it? And I was like, oh, okay. So it's kind of turned into a collective thing now. But that is, to me, that's amazing because... I didn't know any of this was going to happen. It just kind of snowballed, but it's fantastic. If we can help people by just talking about life and showing people that, you know, yes, you can have a career. Yes, you can have, you know, loving relationships. Yes, you can do this. That is what it's all about for me. It's just showing that, I don't know, we're fine. We're okay. We, you know, yeah, you yes, know, we you guys, things, but we're good. You guys should really start a website to get, information out to more people about what it is that you're all individually speaking about have a you know a feed to each one of your in your blogs and just talk a little bit about you know maybe even do like a a day-to-day you know this is where i'm at kind of thing after the after the vlog or or you know something like that something website related that could help you get even more interest especially with your your newer um, content, yeah, content that's coming out. That would be great. Yeah, plus it would organize content all in one spot. Yeah. Well, actually, um, a web designer reached out to me and was just like, I can make you a website because I I like the content and I've I've got, I live with my own mental health stuff. And uh, we do have a website that is now called, uh, because obviously I've got askmeimbipolar.com, but we've got askmemh, as in askmementalhealth.com. And that is Mm -hmm. currently under the work to be, the sort of central hub of everything um but it's still oh, like, it's got the it's got the basic link on there to ask me i'm bipolar at the moment but it's currently being created in the background that's awesome wow. yeah that's great that, i'm see it's an exclusive on our show yep <laughs> we're talking about it that's that's great that's i just i love the whole concept of that you know that you've got you know these different people in your life that want to hop on board and tell their particular uh stories and things and and where they're coming from on their journey and that's just so cool it's inspiring you know very that's kind of what we were going for i mean when we first got together and we did the podcast it was just fun the podcast part was just fun and we sat there one Mm -hmm. day and we're like actually you know we're actually well the host i had so far we've got three females three strong independent women is what i'd like to say all with careers one with their own business two with professional careers Two in solid relationships. Unfortunately, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, yes, we all have these issues, but we kind of are still achieving everything we want to achieve. I'm currently doing my Mm. master's in psychology. Um, Danny's just done, she's a clinical animal behaviorist, so she's uh, looking at doing a psychotherapy on the side of that as well. So she's already got one master's and is looking at doing another one. And I just Uh thought, I just want to show people that mental health doesn't mean you have to stop. It just means that it's an obstacle course instead of a straight run. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, very well said. And on that note, we do have to take our a little break here. So we will catch you on the other side of Where Are You Going to Run To Now by Matt Van Fossen. <laughs>
Welcome back to Voices for Change 2.0. I'm Joe. She's Rebecca. And on the line, all the way from across the pond in the wonderful United Kingdom of uh, the lovely city of Manchester that we will someday get to hopefully, hopefully visit. visit yeah. that, that's our dream is to get over there. Um, we're talking with, <coughs> excuse me, Cam Apaya. Hi, Cam. Hello. <laughs> Hi. How, how are you? I'm good. Everything going as planned. <laughs> we haven't I think thrown so. any, any, we haven't thrown you too many curveballs, have we? No, not yet. I'm surprised. I thought I'd get tongue tied a little bit more. No, we'll we'll find ways to tongue tie you. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get you. We'll just work on. You got that. any good tongue yeah. twisters? 
Um, let me get back to you on that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, that tongue twisters aren't aren't my forte. All right, so let's um, jump right back in here and get to some more of our questions. Um, you talked about this a little bit, but I wondered if you might be able to elaborate on uh, what made you decide to come out and tell your your story. Um, it was just, I mean, like the hmm, trying to think of the best way to succinctly say this without rambling you. I think we've tongue-tied you. <laughs> as, you know, as I said before, it was mostly, part, well, m partly stubbornness and partly because I just can't, I can't abide people telling me I can't do something. So I'd say it's mostly stubbornness, actually. Yeah. I just, I didn't like it. I, I've always been one of those people that when someone says to me, you can't, you can't do that, I'll be like, yes, I can. Or, you know, in school where they'd be like, you can't do that, it's against the rules, I'll be like, watch me. <laughs> so you were one of those people that, that I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say you're one of those people that they could they could use negative reinforcement on you and you would prove them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they could try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could definitely try. I was one of those kids that were like, Don't go down that street and I'm like, But I'm exploring <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but for yeah, me, it was, I was, I was it was what? I was going to say, it was mostly the stubbornness of being told I can't do something, but it was also the kind of, all the negative stuff that I was seeing online and all the sort of negative comments I was seeing in forums and things like that, I was just really shocked by it, and I was really kind of disheartened by it, and I thought, there has to be more. There has to be people out there that live with these mental health disorders, or however you want to put it, and actually live happily and have good lives and you know reach their goals and their dreams. They have to be out there somewhere, but where are they? I can't see them. There's one or two. Yeah. I mean, this is a couple of years ago as well, so I didn't have all the, uh, I didn't have access to everything that I do now, but I just couldn't find anything, especially in the UK. I couldn't find anything to look at to just go, oh, okay, there's somebody that's telling me it's going to be okay. So I thought, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have I have a question that just popped into my mind that I wanted to ask you. If you sort of sit there and, and think just for a minute, can you sense at any time during your childhood where maybe you were experiencing, say, like anxiety about going to school or if you were, you know, feeling depressed, it, some, something that could have been a sign for, for your folks to get you treatment? I think it's complex with me because of the autistic spectrum part. Um, from mm. being three years old, my parents knew something wasn't quite right with me. I was quite right. classically autistic, but actually I was only diagnosed last October with the autism, even though I've kind of huh. known it my whole life. So it's really hard for women to get diagnosed and they often get misdiagnosed with lots of other things first. Um, but I was assured that uh, I am now not just bipolar, but I am autistic and bipolar as well. Or I always have. Wow. <laughs> So That's when wild. I was in school, I had a lot of a lot of issues. Um, I was never really good at interacting with people. I was never really good at sort of like group play, things like that. I, I always did the kind of like classic autistic parallel play. I had my little universe, and if you tried to do something in it, you didn't do it right. So <laughs> I'm still like that, to be fair, to a certain degree. So <laughs> I, I get that. The, Thanks. I think comorbidity is the word of the of the issues it would have been quite hard to work out exactly what was what. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I mean, the part so, that was obviously not the autism came more towards my teens. I did go through the whole self-harm uh, type behaviors. I did uh, attempt to commit suicide three times. I was very, very depressed at one point. Um, the mania kind of came more into itself, or, or at least I recognized it more, again, as a teenager, because by that point, you know, I was going out with friends and I was acting out, I was acting very recklessly. I don't think before that I quite understood what was happening to me, but people around me knew something wasn't quite right and I didn't quite do things like other people, but they just didn't know why or what. A lot of the time I actually had people telling me, this is the worst phrase ever, and if anyone ever says this to me, I will probably just... Well, I won't flip out, but you know what I mean. It's, why can't you just conform? I heard that all through my childhood. Why can't you just conform? Why can't you just be like so-and-so? Why can't you just do what everybody else does? And it was, oh, I didn't know why. I genuinely didn't know why. I remember going into school and thinking to myself, I'm going to be really, really good today. I'm not going to do anything wrong. And then within an hour or so, I'd done multiple things wrong. And I didn't have a clue how that happened. I didn't know why Mm -hmm. I reacted that way. And it was very confusing time. Yeah, I uh, I understand that. It's, yeah. it's you know, <clears throat> getting getting told why can't you be like so and so? Why can't you conform? Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? I don't know, why is water wet? Why is the sky blue? You know, it's I don't know. It is it's, what it, it is. It is what it is. You know, and it's frustrating. You know, because it's like you know you start thinking to yourself, well, what am I not good enough? Which just exactly. adds a whole other layer onto mm-hmm. everything you're already dealing with. And then you, then you got the guilt coming in again. Mm-hmm. And, and you feel like you're letting your, your folks and everybody right. down. I tell you, guilt is is probably one of my biggest, um, I don't know, I guess thorns in my side if you, if you go through. And you're not even Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, guilt is... is is a monster. It's something that I don't know if I'll ever be able to, to, you know, get past any type of guilt related to really anything. It's just that's it's a monster. That's all I'll say about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, when you're a teenager as well, one of the worst things that you can think. I mean, your self worth and your confidence is always sketchy when you're a teenager in general. You're just learning right. to be yourself, aren't you, at that point? But then when you start yeah. getting all these feelings of, you know, I'm not good enough, I shouldn't be alive, everyone will be better off without me here, I just cause trouble for everybody. That's mm-hmm. where you kind of get the worst parts of it creeping in, and that's what ultimately led to me going, I don't want to be here anymore, and sort of making that choice. And luckily, it didn't quite work out. Yeah. Thank, yeah. Well, thank God it didn't work yeah, out. Because we we're, you know, we're enjoying talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so... Conversely, what has been the most rewarding part of your journey? It's been people messaging me. I didn't realize that, you know, when I first started this, it was just I'm making a YouTube video. It was my expression, my way of saying, you know, I no one out there is, is telling me I can do this, so I'm going to tell me I can do this. And I used to make videos and play them back to myself, um, you know, like videos, sort of motivational videos, I guess is the way to put it. And I used to play them back to myself when I was feeling really down. And I thought, well, I'm going to do something similar. And I want to address all these things that people are asking me about bipolar because it was as if nobody had a clue what it was, what it meant, or anything about it. They just went, oh, you must be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And it was all those people then messaging me back in the comments that I was getting. And like, you know, I've got a couple of thousand people following me across all the different social medias now. And it's like, wow, 
I'm not the only person that feels like this and other people are actually benefiting from the things that I'm putting out. I mean, that one person that sent, they sent me a really long message and it was something along the lines of, I watched your video and I used your videos to explain to my family what's going on. I finally got my diagnosis. I'm on medication and I'm feeling a lot better and I wouldn't have been able to do that without watching your videos. And I was just like, wow, I was absolutely blown away by that. I mean, it still doesn't yeah. feel real to me. That's yeah, really that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good feeling. Yeah, that's what we're all doing this for, you know, not necessarily the the accolades, I shouldn't say that, but with what we're doing it for is to reach people. Mm-hmm. And when you, you you know, when see somebody comes to you and says, Oh, you know, I I I can go I can go along with everything you just said here, then it's that would definitely be the rewarding aspect of it is that now you've been able to help somebody with something that you might not even think that you could ever help with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's Yeah, it's a, and that's the beautiful thing about like the you know, we talk about it all the time, the the mental health community on Twitter is you've got everybody in the same row same boat rowing in the same direction and you know we're all there to to hold each other up and you know when we've got a new member of the community you know letting them see hey you know what you're not alone you know we've gone through this we've gone through that we understand what you're going through you know or having them come to us all and say hey i've been through this too you know thank you for putting this out there or you know even asking advice, hey, I'm going through this. What did you do? Yeah, if it, if it weren't for Twitter and the the mental health community on Twitter, I don't know that we would still have a show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, I have yeah, to admit, they, I'm really te- I'm really terrible with Twitter. <laughs> like I do a lot of stuff on Facebook. Um, I've got the I've got an Ask Me I'm Bipolar community group page on Facebook, and we do like I like to do little exercises with people on there, and I, we do things like you know. Um, on one day of the week, we'll say, okay, tell me three things that went really well for you this week. Tell me three positive things that you've done this week, or tell me three positive attributes that you've got. And I, I did it that way, and I, I constructed it that way to have that kind of format, because I just want to really hit home this kind of like positivity, neuroplasticity is what it is scientifically. But kind of when you're in a really bad place, you don't naturally think of all the good stuff. But if you can look into a forum and that forum is constantly reinforcing the good things about you, it's going to help somehow. And the amount yeah. of people that engage with that is actually, like I said, it's phenomenal. It's blown my mind completely. I really didn't think so many people would end up engaging with the content that I was putting out. And the, the community that I've got on Facebook, I absolutely love it. They're brilliant people. And we, we just have a chat sometimes. You know, someone's having a bad week and you know, people give you little bits of advice here and there. I mean, we try and keep everything on a on a scientific level in the sense that I wouldn't allow things like advice on medication without it being from a doctor, that kind of stuff. But right. just general life tips and things <clears throat> like that. It's amazing how when you do something on there, be it Twitter, Facebook, uh, you start a group, you start a forum, you start a hashtag, you know, you start all these things, and they suddenly become – uh, an, an entity unto themselves, you know. Yeah, they itself. take a life of it's, their own on. Right, exactly. You know, and, and before you know it, it's like, well, wow, I created that. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a hand in that. And it's so much more and so much bigger than what I had ever envisioned it would be. You know, I'm just trying to do this little thing, and now, bam, I've got this, mm-hmm. you know. 
And it's just it's celebrating cool. the little things mm-hmm. as well. So, like, you can do – I've done a little post a few times and just been like, you know, tell me three things that you've done that have been really positive this week. Mine has been getting out of bed. <laughs> like, something really simple yeah. like that. And the amount of people that will then come in and go, oh, well, I've had a really bad week but because of this. And you get to really know these people. And even though there's so many people out there and I can't know them all personally, I'd love to, but it's impossible. Suddenly, yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, you lose that isolation. You lose that feeling of being alone. And the amount of times people have posted something and then you've got like, you know, 40, 50 people replying to it. It's like, yeah, you know what? There's all these people are here to support you. You're not on your own. It doesn't matter if you're isolated from everyone location-wise. Everybody is here to help you through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the great thing about it. It's a, it's an awesome feeling. And it, the best part about it is that it wasn't always like that, but we all somehow got together and and worked at making it a more safe and, you know, dr- drama-free environment. <laughs> I think you know, I love that you said drama free. <laughs> <laughs> just by getting rid again of with all the stubbornness that I created the community group on Facebook was because I got so irritated with other groups and drama. I just like <laughs> I think I mean again this is my personal opinion. I'm not saying that it should be this way, but I personally believe that if you're an admin of a group, you have a responsibility to maintain the integrity and the level of sort of talking in that group. And I think if people are posting extremely dramatic or distressing posts, you have to moderate that in a certain way. I'm not saying take away freedom of speech, but, you know, if it's becoming dramatic or hostile or anything like that, obviously you have to get in, you have to do something about it. So I created a set of communities. If you then back it up. If you're going to say something, we'll have no isms in here, no racisms, no homophobia, that kind of stuff. You know, you'll get told once to apologize after that that's your own choice and yeah. I just thought I, I've never had a problem with it in that group I've never had anybody say anything out of order because everybody just really tries to help everyone and I think sometimes maybe groups get too big I'm not sure why it happens but the, the drama in other groups my days <laughs> yeah. yeah well and that, and that makes sense yeah you know, so so how how do you feel about uh, how, how far we as a community have gone with um, with the stigma surrounding mental illness? I think it's amazing. I mean, from when I first was diagnosed to now, and I mean, that's only four years, the amount of things that have come up, the amount of, you know, the, even social media itself, the whole movement online, the hashtags like the one you've got, it's just fantastic. And it's, it's bringing so much awareness to things, you know, to the, all the issues that we have. And I can only see it getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the same. That's the same thing that we're seeing is that, you know, it's we're able to have a conversation now in the light of day without any um, fear of repercussions. Right, and yeah. you know, no no whispers and hushed tones, and you know, you can you can say it proudly, and you know, if if people have a problem with accepting it. You know that's no longer your problem. It's their problem. It's their hang up. You know, and that should that's how it should have always been. But you know, now that we can acknowledge that it's you know it's a it's a fault with them and not you. Right. You know um, that you can proudly state you know stand there and say, hey, I've got bipolar disorder. You know, or I I suffer from DID, or I suffer from this, or I am being treated for that. You know. Um, it's it's empowering. 
Well, that's exactly what we're trying to do. I think all of us that kind of put out this kind of content, we're we're just there to say, do you know what? It's going to be fine. And we can, you know, we will show you that it's possible to achieve these things, to write a book, to have a podcast, you know, to whatever it is that you want to do. For me, like, you know, I had to defer uni about three times before I managed to get through my undergraduate degree, but I got there. And yeah, it was hard. And yeah, it was you know, it was a real struggle to get through the first, the first five, well, the first two to three years that I was doing that was so hard. But guess what? I did it, and now I'm doing a master's, and I've done a PGC in between because it can be done, and it doesn't matter how much effort it takes and how long it takes you to do these things. They are possible, and I think the more we talk about it and the more we sort of normalize just having open conversations then other people can jump in and just go, oh, okay, well, that person has, you know, bipolar disorder, that person has whatever, borderline personality disorder. It doesn't matter. They're still a human. They still have values. They still have wants and needs. They're still valid. Right. Yeah. That's what I said a long time ago when Beck and I got together. You know, mm-hmm. um, we we had that discussion uh, a few months back on, on a podcast in front of ours, that was Matt Pappas, and I said it then, it stands true today, and it, stand, it will stand true until the day both of us die, is that, you know, I didn't see her illness, I saw her, you know, and, and that's a beautiful. wonderful person, thank you, um, and she's beautiful, <laughs> and, and I'm a lucky guy, you know, and I tell her that, and she tells me that I'm an idiot, but, you know, I still hold... I still hold true that I'm a lucky guy and you know, I, I wouldn't trade her for, for anything at all. Well thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate that. Sure. So Aww. Cam, can you tell us? I'm um, still sad and lonely, remember. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, not trying to throw it in your face. Yeah. We're uh getting down to the wire here, so we need okay. to ask you, um, what is actually up next for you? What are your plans? Uh, I've got a lot more videos that I want to put out. I'm concentrating a little bit more on the autistic side of things and running the Ask Me I'm Autistic um, YouTube videos at the moment, so I'm recording all of them. I'm going to amalgamate everything into Ask Me Mental Health as a brand, I guess, um, and just see what happens. It was never, you know, it's not a business plan. I'm not trying to make money off it. I just want to help people, and if one little thing I can do helps people, great. I'll keep doing it. Yeah. That yeah, really good. that's and that's that's solid, man. That that that's just that's that's what being a member of the human race is about is just being out there and trying to to help everybody. We're you know we're all in this together, and and nobody gets out alive. So we got to try and make the best <laughs> of it for each other while we're while we're still at it. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. If but, we could um, just see each other without labels, it would be great. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're male, female, gay, straight. Catholic, Muslim, whatever. You're a human. We're all humans. Mental health or not, just treat people nicely. Exactly. Exactly. Well, on on that note, um, I guess uh, that's about it for us for today. Well, no, not quite it yet. Uh, not quite it yet. Yeah, Kim, where can people find you on social media oh, if they want to if they want to reach out <laughs> and uh, you know uh, well, track you down at the moment, and, I have... and say what gives. At the moment, I've got two Twitter handles, which is Ask Me I'm Bipolar and Ask Me MH1. It will be transferring onto the Ask Me MH stuff because that's going to be the predominant website coming up once it's been built. 
on Facebook it's still under Ask Me I'm Bipolar but if you search anything basically either search my name because it's so unique there's only one of me or just search Ask Me I'm Bipolar all one word or Ask Me MH and you'll pretty much find me to be fair cool okay Nothing nothing else like uh, Instagram or any of those other... Oh, yeah, I do actually have Instagram. I always forget about that one. Uh, I've got Instagram, which is AskMeMH1, I think. <laughs> now you're asking me. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> to be fair, I, kind of, I don't really use Instagram for a lot of things other than posting pictures of my friend's dog at the moment. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, AskMeMH1 is my Instagram. And also, I've got my email address, obviously, which is hello at AskMeMH.com. I was going to say, my cats have an Instagram page. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So you're so you're in good company. <laughs> so, um, all right. I I have to ask this because it's it's uh, been in the back of my mind since the show started. Um, say, please say the following word. I'm going to spell it for you. H e r b. Herb. Because there's an H in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are Are you familiar with Eddie Izzard? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He's like a god to us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's brilliant. He's, he's hilarious. Yeah, he's, yeah. Love him. Love him so much. And uh, so a lot <laughs> – it's funny. I – as a kid, I didn't really focus that much on history and stuff like that. I always thought it was really boring. I didn't care. I'd, you know, slide by with C's or whatever. <laughs> but you're watching him, and he, he's talking about, like, real things that actually happened like you know Hitler was actually a vegetarian and all these different kinds of things and it's like you're learning while you're laughing your head off yeah and i have really so in combination much, yeah, yeah i have so much respect for somebody who can put a show together like that and then to come out in heels yeah <laughs> yeah to do it all in heels till, uh, i know he wears yeah. better than me <laughs> And the, uh, you know, it's funny because um, he was actually one of the catalysts for bringing Beck and I together early on. Yeah. Um, oh, really? We, yeah, yeah. I had I had just watched, he had a, a comedy special called Dress to Kill and, and HBO back in the late 90s was playing it. And I'd just seen it and it was just, it was brilliant. It was so funny. So one of the first times that Beck and I are hanging out together, she goes, Hey, have you ever heard of this guy? And she pops in a, a videotape, and it's Dressed to Kill. <laughs> and we sat there watching it and laughing our fool heads off. And that was one of the things that kind of, you know, really helped us connect. So and that's where the that story and, began. Yeah, <laughs> that that and wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't get me. I love wrestling. Oh, good. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to shut him up on that one because a lot of no, people No, no, I don't. absolutely love wrestling. I've loved wrestling my entire life. I was convinced I was going to marry Jeff Hardy, and then he married someone else. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, well, he does that. Yeah, I love <laughs> Jeff Hardy, too. He's yeah. great. Yeah, she's she's got her, her people. and yeah. My favorite, though, is Triple H. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, he I just, love he that just guy. Like, the way he transitions from being the complete heel to being amazing, and then back to being a complete heel again. It's he's such he's really good, like as on an acting level as well. Yeah, I'll yeah, tell you yeah. something that mo most people don't know actually. When I was uh, sixteen, seventeen, I used to train in sort of the local gym, and we used to do that kind of wrestling. So I did it for about three oh. or four years, and I did it up uh, like a few times around the UK in a diff few different places. 
Um, and I, I stopped doing it in the end because I left the country for a while. But uh, yeah, I did have the dream at one point that I was going to be. Uh... That's awesome. Wow. That is so cool. Yeah. I, I had that dream back when I was, you know, in like fifth, sixth grade and then <laughs> had no idea how to actually start doing it. So that I gave up on that dream pretty quick. <laughs> Oh, I had it all planned uh, out. My name was Switch. My finisher was called a Switchblade, and my theme tune was Rob Zombie's <laughs> Living Dead Girl. Nice. Not bad. That's pretty cool. I, I hadn't <laughs> thought it out that far. Of course, then again, I was... I'm, I was I'm showing huge... how much geek I am now. Yeah. <laughs> My nickname could have been Harlot Oscara. Remember that episode of Family Guy? <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, Brian was trying to give Stewie... Uh, uh, roller Derby nickname, and he named him Harlot Oscara. Now you know our wheelhouse. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, Star, Star Wars, Wrestling, Eddie Izzard, and Family Guy. <laughs> well, it's a game of thrones finale writings, anything to go by. I'm worried about the next Star Wars. Um, Actually, I think the next Star Wars looks okay because J.J. Abrams took it back over. Have you, have you seen oh, the trailer really? yet? No, yeah. I haven't. Oh, you got to check out the new trailer. I I loved, you know, the original three Star Wars, and I was never going to see any of the other ones ever. And being married to Joe, I don't really get that option. I have to watch them all <laughs> constantly. Yeah, she does. So, um, well, it was recently May the 4th. I hope you celebrated it in style. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh, it was, you know, you just got to look out for Revenge, Revenge of the Fifth. So... <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, the, I, I'll tell you, I, I wasn't thrilled with a lot of the ones that I saw, but the commercial, the this trailer for this new one that's coming out, um, even though it makes me cry because Princess Leia is in it, so I immediately start crying my eyes out because Carrie Fisher has left us. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's so sad. But, but yeah, it, it actually looks pretty good. Um, if you get a chance, go on uh, YouTube or IMDb and, and check it out. Um I'll be doing that straight after this show. Yeah, because I, I think JJ's trying to redeem it. And you got to stick all the way around to the end because there's a, a particular laugh that you got to hear that you're going to go, whoa! So, <laughs> all right, just, we've got just it. Like we've that. got it. Look out, wait. We're getting the hook. We're getting the hook. He's trying to... going, going into hour two, you guys, we will be talking with, you want to take this part over? Who are we talking to? Uh, Mary and Ellen, and they are authors and advocates. Yes, that's what, so, that's what we need to know. So stay tuned, and we'll catch you guys on the other side of Into the Unknown by Preston Wiggins. And Cam, stand the line for a minute so we can say bye, and uh, we'll catch you guys after this.
afternoon. Welcome to Voices for Change 2.0. We're having a debate about the time around here. Yeah. We're really, yeah, glad, we to, we're really glad that you're with us this morning. Yeah, this thanks afternoon. for thanks for, yeah, this afternoon. Thanks for sticking around uh for hour two of the show. Um we are are happy that you guys are sticking with us here through um Mental Health Awareness Month. Yes, very Yay. important. And also, I believe Mental Health Awareness Week was wrapping up in... That wrapped up last week. Was it last week? Yeah, it was last week. Okay. So, well, yeah, so that's... Yeah, so that was um, big steps to have... It was kind of crazy having them both go at the same time. Yeah. Um, the, the hashtags were just blowing the place up. I know, up. crazy. <laughs> I know. wish I could get mine to do that. Well, yours today was trending at 900. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's nothing. Not that's not. It's not shabby. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's really respectable. You know, nine hundred people tweeting that out today. Yeah. You know. Yes, dear. Thank you, dear. You're welcome, darling. <laughs> You're so cute. Yeah. How'd I get so lucky? I don't know. I mean, I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay. Uh, we haven't been up to too much. We don't have too many interesting things to cover when we, you know, we usually do a little bit of banter before we start interviews, and you know, we're just kind of we're we're in our to keep own our heads on straight. Yeah, we're on our our own haze, our own fog. Uh, we've had a lot going on in the household here, um, off the air, and uh, it's just you know trying to stay on top of everything. It's been um, exhausting. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll go with exhausting. Plus, we got sick, so yeah. now we're all all better mostly. And <coughs> speak, speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Sorry. But the important thing for us today is to talk about our guests that are coming up. Yes. Um, I discovered uh, Mary and Ellen on Twitter, mm-hmm. I, and um, we've. I don't think we've been talking quite a year yet, but um, it's there, you know, mostly through emails because we were trying to get a good date scheduled for them to come on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done some really, really important work. Their whole – everything that they put into to what they've done has, has been just, I don't know, for lack of a better word, important. It's, it's something that needed to be done. And I really think that they deserve a lot of credit for compiling all of this information that people really need to hear and putting it into a book and putting it out there. And, you know, I wish I wish I had the strength and the, the courage to go around talking to all these different people, you know, and getting all this information. You never know what you're going to hear. Mm-hmm. So I'm really honored to have them both on the show with us today, and um, I hope that you are honored as well, my dear. I am. I am very honored. I'm, I'm intrigued to hear about what all they've done um, and kind of delve into it and, and uh, you know, just see, you know, see what's what. Absolutely. So why don't we introduce our guests for this this, this afternoon? <laughs> That's going to be my new word. This afternoon? This afternoon. <laughs> Oh, you are a train wreck. Please welcome Mary and Ellen, the authors of Behind the Wall. Good afternoon. Hi. <laughs> good morning great and good afternoon. 
it's it's our pleasure to have you guys on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to uh, speak to us and tell us about your book and tell us about all the work that you've done and, you know, just overall being groovy. <laughs> First of all, we're sisters and we live on opposite coasts. Um, wow. And, yeah, so getting this book together took a lot of Skype and thank goodness for technology and travel. Mm -hmm. So what happened is, I'm Ellen, by the way. Hi, Ellen. um, (laughs) Hi. So my son, who was not quite an adult, he was in college, he was a young adult, was diagnosed with a mental illness, bipolar disorder. And, you know, I, as the parent, first of all, I'm a therapist, so of course I was able to you know, counsel lots of people with mental illnesses and their families. But then I said to my sister, Mary, this is so different. Living with a person who struggles every day is so different than seeing them once a week in my office and helping Mm -hmm. them with that. And Mary said, Mary's smart, right, Mary? (laughs) Mary said, said, why don't we go around the country and talk to other parents and see what they're feeling and what they're thinking. And, you know, let's just see what's going on. And that all sounds so easy. And then four years later, uh, we have collected stories from people, uh, from parents from all around the country. Uh, We've looked at parents who are divorced or together, same-sex couples, um, some religious, some not, um, and all situations, all socioeconomic situations. And what we found is that no matter what their circumstance, no matter what uh, level of treatment they received, they all were saying some of the same things. And the top thing that parents expressed is grief that they were now Mm -hmm. grieving the loss of what their child was the Mm. other thing is chaos the chaos of getting a proper diagnosis and also the chaos of before they were diagnosed a lot of the kids self-medicated and so now they're they've gotten into all kinds of substance abuse, which made everything sort of crazy and chaotic. Um, And then no diagnosis. You know, lots of doctors would say, oh, we can't treat them because, you know, they're using marijuana. Hmm. Um, And we can't diagnose them. And and it was just um, the chaos is unbelievable. And the other thing is the parents felt guilty like they've done something wrong. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So many other things, like they, the coping mechanisms were often very unhealthy. I know in my own case, you know, I, I just like curled up into a ball, a lot of the time, and um, that's not healthy. Obviously, that you know that right. I had to get motivated to help figure out what to do for my son, to, to help him to get into recovery. Yeah. So that was. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm choking up a little bit. It's, I definitely can relate to you on that level because I, you know, I saw my parents go through the same thing when I was diagnosed, and 
it, it's a very, very scary situation for everybody involved. And, you know, just when you think you've got a leg up, you know, you take 10 steps backwards, you know, yeah. whenever you're, when you're treating this. So, yeah, I definitely, uh, I'm with you on that level. <laughs> um, yeah, and a lot of um, therapists would say, well, we can't diagnose your child. He or she is under 18. And so they, it's okay not, I understand the not giving a label or diagnosis, but then they just need to treat what the symptoms are and help the child get some relief. Mm-hmm, so yeah. there were all kinds of stories like that. Uh, some parents also, when the child first became psychotic, let's say, the parent would uh, go into denial. And so many of the parents said, you know, once I just got into um, reality and believing that this was truly a mental illness, then his whole world or her whole world got better. And I and one of you know the way to recovery and and there is recovery in mental illness um, is people need advocates. They need advocates who will stay with them and hold on to hope and also get educated about what mental illness is. It's not about feeling guilty or pity or or any of that. It's about getting um, early evidence-based intervention for the child and about sticking with him no matter what or her. I always say him mm-hmm. because I have a son. Um, <laughs> and and just rallying behind him and holding on to hope until that person can take on the hope and move forward on his or her own volition because you know, I know in in the case with my son, he did not have any hope for recovery, but I I kept holding on to hope because I said, you're going to get into recovery, and this is how we're going to do it. And you just have to do that. If, if you can't, Sometimes the parents are not good advocates, so the young adult has to find some other people who can help. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of Sums up, that actually kind of sums up our, our first question, which was where does your mental health journey begin, um, you know, for, for, for you, Alan. But what about for you, Mary? What was your uh, coming into all of this? Um, were, were you dealing with anything, or was it just simply you were trying to assist your support. sister, you know, was a support role? Well, yeah. What's no, what? I'm glad you asked this because um, I know that a lot of your guests are dealing with their own mental health journey and and for me um mostly it was about i came to realize what ellen's family was going through and again she mentioned and first of all i want to thank you for that lovely introduction which is really lovely um but um I came to it because at the time when Ellen was going through all this, she was on, like we mentioned, she's on one coast and I was on the other. And I was in the throes of raising little kids, tiny kids. And she was in the throes of dealing with uh, this emerging health, mental health issue and really coming to grips with what it exactly was. And, and I found that she would tell me things about what was going on in her life with her family and and um when it comes to your children you 
you always feel the pain that they're feeling and and how you respond to it depends on i think um the resources that you have and whether those are emotional resources or circumstantial resources and not all parents have the benefit of having another you know supportive family around them to support them and in ellen's mm-hmm. case she kept saying things that what her son was going through and i kind of didn't really understand it until finally i did and then i realized oh my goodness she was dealing with trying to help her son and i was not being very supportive so I felt like, oh, my gosh, how many other parents are out there that are struggling and not knowing that there is support out there for them to help their loved one, their child, and and mm-hmm. and they can't articulate what they need because, A, they don't know what they need, or their siblings or other family members don't believe that it can really ha- be going on. So that's where I came to it. And, and as a parent, I was a new parent, I was struggling with, you know, understanding how parents can support their kids in any way and I believe and as a result of working on this work book I believe that it helped me to be a more compassionate parent in general in order to support whatever journey my kids are going through and it really has borne out to be true so anyway that's kind of a roundabout way to say how I came into it but of course I wanted to work on a project with Ellen we're very close we're a very close family and um, and I adore you know, my nieces and nephews, all of them, and anything I could do to support that, them, you know, I was all about. That's very cool. Yeah. You know, nice. And, you know, bless you for, for wanting to help your sister out. And, you know, bless you, Ellen, for, you know, just wanting to dive into this to begin with. Um, you know, and, and, it, and it really is, too, a struggle, you know, when you're a caretaker, because it's not always a parent. Sometimes it's a spouse. Sometimes it's a yeah. uh, aunt or uncle. <clears throat> you know, yeah. there's always somebody there. And you know, it, it took me a while to learn how to be there for Beck. Um, you know, the, the the story, and we've told this a few times now, is when she and I first met. <clears throat> you know, she was going. You know, just in the throes of bipolar disorder and a few other different things self-harm self-harm and and at the time i didn't understand it and i wasn't mature enough to try to understand it so i stepped away which left her all sorts of confused but i realized that there was you know more to her than what she was going through so i came back to her and you know we we gave it a shot and i fell madly in love with her and uh yeah and um you know really sought to understand what she was going through and help advocate for her because you know the the first couple times we went to her doctor's appointments were really eye-opening for me you know i mean i i had gone to doctor's appointments all my life and you know seen my doc for this that and the other but i had never been to dealing with you know like a psychiatrist or anything like that and seeing how she was being treated by this this particular individual was it was a really big eye opener for me you know and so i was able to start backing up what she was telling him so that he understood 
Yeah, he would sit there and just talk to Joe. <coughs> he was he would pretend that I wasn't oh. even. Yeah. He just told oh, Joe everything I was to do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I'd be looking at him thinking, why are you telling me this? Tell her this. She's the patient. You know, I'm not her boss or anything. I'm her, I'm her husband, for crying out loud. You know, mm. eventually well, we found a great doctor that is not this guy. Yeah, well, sadly, we have some stories like that as well from mm-hmm. all the parents that we interviewed as well as I do personally dealing with my son. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just its unbelievable out there. It's just unbelievable. But when you find the right, um, you know, mental health professionals and you get informed as the, as the person who's the advocate, then everyone can work together as a team. And it really mm-hmm. does take a team of support. Uh, my husband... Luckily, is on my team as our son's father, um, and he has certain strengths that I don't have, and so we put our, our you know, our team together, mm-hmm. and that's what it takes. That's what it takes. You know, I have to tell you, this is I have to tell you about a very cool thing that Ellen ha- did and her husband, and also that um, in our book, another other parents talk about ways. To rally the the other family members and close friends to understand to how they can best help not just the person living with the mental illness but also like create sort of this mob scene of support you know um, and Ellen and her husband did this very cool thing and it really it kind of woke me up uh, as a family member and that was that when their son was finally, uh, I guess, came to a point where he was diagnosed and, and there was something tangible to explain. Um, they actually would send out regular emails to all the family members and explain it in a very clean and non judgmental way. You know, here's what is happening and um, here's what you can do. And I and at, when I first read those emails, I was in shock because I wasn't aware of um, what was going on. I did, I, it was all new to me. But because mm-hmm. the way they articulated that this is what's happening, and it was in a non-judgmental way, and it was very clear about how we could help, it really changed the dynamic of what was going on in our family in, t- in terms of like, okay, we're we're behind you, and whatever you need, and everybody rallied around. Um, her son and we're very open about that he has an illness and it is an illness and he's managing it and and I it has helped I believe that it has helped everybody including him move forward and and stay in recovery and um I and it's what we and other parents have done this that we interviewed and and it's just a great way for a family to understand everything without judgment you know Mm-hmm. Well, so many families become very isolated, and I see how that happens because as soon as people in my town figured out what was happening with our son, they started to pull away. And now I see how families become so isolated. So then you need to reach out to people who are your real friends and your family, people who will really support you. And that, that's yeah. 
absolutely one theme that we found. And also I teach a NAMI course, National Alliance on Mental mm-hmm. Illness course. Mm-hmm. Um, fam- it's called Families and Family, and it's a 12-week course. And so many of the people say, yeah, we're, we're really isolated right now because we can't, we just don't feel like we can talk about it and we can't reach out to friends or friends have left us. Right. Friends don't want to be around yeah. us anymore. And mm-hmm. it's just so that, sad. It's so sad to me. That happened to me quite a bit. Um, yeah. Back in 20, in, back when I did attempt suicide back in 2013, you, well, you, you said you read it, read the book, so you I know read the it, story, yeah. but, but yeah, yeah it, it, that people were just dropping like flies. They're, yeah. <laughs> And if they yeah, didn't drop right away, and they, the, right. Go ahead. Really scared. Don't know what to say. Don't mm-hmm. want to be around you. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is exactly. It's it's hard for me. That part is really hard for me. Then there's the Even. ones that will consider you a a coward. Yeah, there's that too. You know, oh, there's a whole other flip side to it. You know. Yeah, uh, it's that, a, yeah. I think a lot of it's fear of the unknown. You know, and, yeah. you know, pe- people are, are afraid of what they don't understand. And, you know, you get the ones that truly care about you that will seek out understanding and still be there. And then you get the other ones that leave. And the other ones that leave were never really there for you to begin with. So, yeah. you know, it, it it sucks and you feel a loss because those people are no longer there. But by the same token, it's almost like the trash took itself out. Yeah. Well, you know, what, what's a really point? A lo- and a lot of parents that we interviewed also mentioned that they were judged by other parents because maybe their child was acting out in public, you know, as a result of their mental health issues. They, they Their behaviors were a little bit not correct or, or different. Mm-hmm. And so, so a lot of parents talked about that, how that people judged them and maybe people – said that they were bad parents or they weren't good disciplinarians when when the truth is is that they were doing everything right and that they're at you know you know there's all different kind of scenarios but it was really unfair to these poor parents who are trying to support their loved one to do the best they can for them and then they're getting judged and isolated for this it's Mm -hmm. very it's very challenging for families for sure yeah, yeah. to pick up on Joe's, uh, Joe made a point a little earlier about misinformation. And the, part of our mission with this book and the talks that we do, um, we're, we're, often, we're often talking to mental health professionals and colleges, and we love to talk to young people especially, but we want to give them the facts because there's so many myths out there, which that creates the stigma, which also Mm -hmm. creates the isolation. So if Mm -hmm. we can educate what you're doing on this podcast, which is great, and and any way we can, and just spread the facts, people, you know, especially people, kids, let's say, who are starting to feel weird and feel like, oh, they're hearing things or they're feeling weird or their moods are changing, they won't be afraid to talk about it. And and they can get early treatment. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to – That's a, it's a really good spot for us to take our first break. Yep. So that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to revisit that more on the other side of the break. Uh, in the meantime, you guys will be listening to You Belong by Brandon James. <laughs> <laughs> 
see you on the other side of this.
Hey, welcome back to Voices for Change 2.0. I'm Joe. She's Rebecca. And on the line, we have Mary and Ellen, and they are authors and advocates, and they wrote a great book. And moms. And moms. That's a very important thing. Mm-hmm. It's the number one important thing. <laughs> um, and they wrote a, a great book called Behind the Wall. And uh, happy belated Mother's Day, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, you want to jump into yeah, the questions? Yeah, so we're going to jump back into our, our questions here. Okay. Um, did you actually start off with the goal of writing a book when you started traveling? Yes. Okay. Yes, we had a ambitious goal. Yes. We also, in in tandem with the writing of the book, we actually, as we were working on the book, we realized that we had so much information, valuable advice from these other parents that we actually started a blog at the same time. So as we were work, oh, cool. doing the work, so yes, yeah, so we do have a blog, which is we haven't worked on it in a while, honestly, uh, and we're, because I've both of us have been on other projects, but it is still has a lot of archived um, posts that I think are still really pertinent and um, timely. That's cool. You know, and the, the nice yeah. thing about that is I'm, I'm sure you guys were able to take some of the information that you couldn't necessarily fit into the book and, and put it up on the blog too, which is, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of a, kind of a beneficial thing. You know, mm-hmm. people are trying to track down information, you know, it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's good to give them, you know, as much resource as you can. Yeah, and also we only included seven stories in our book, but we obviously interviewed many, 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 many more parents, and we couldn't really contain all those stories, and so that's a lot of the interviews that we had we used for those blog posts. So that's how we did it. And these parents that we talked to were amazing. I mean, they are amazing people. Yeah, uh, often Mary, when, I was, I was, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, often when we felt like we just couldn't do this, we would think about these parents because they were our heroes, and that's what really yeah. kept us going. It, it helps to have that kind of inspiration, too, you know, because um, it, it gets tough. You know, you, you work on a project, you know, be it writing a book or doing a podcast or what, what have you, yeah. and you know, you're. There are times where you where you lose, you know, focus, or you lose your push, or you're like, man, can I really do this? And you have self doubt, mm-hmm. you know. And it and it because we went through it with Beck's book, you know, especially when we did the la- the last edition of it. Um, you know, I handled the the editing on that and and getting the formatting and everything done, and it it was, it was tough. Exhausting. It, was, it, was, it was an exhausting <laughs> undertaking. Um, what was the most rewarding uh, process for you guys of, of writing and publishing this book? Uh, for me, this is, this is Ellen. Um, for me, I, I, we actually, um, I'll speak for myself. I cried when we were interviewing people and it was just, I think what was most amazing is the people, how, the parents just kept fighting and fighting for their children and finding the best way to help them. Um, and I think, uh, as I said in the beginning, the 
it, it became thematic. So the same themes kept emerging no matter what the circumstances of these families were. So that mm-hmm. was pretty surprising and enlightening for me. What about you, Mary? Oh, I well, I have to say that the process changed my life forever. I mean, it was a profound experience for me because I learned on so many levels. Well, I learned so much, and it really, um, I guess, there's a million things that I got out of it. I certainly got more out of it than I put into it. Um, But one of the things that I'm so grateful for, um, in in addition to, it was really fun working with my sister because she and I would, um, she and I talk in half sentences when we're working on something because we work so similarly, but we're very different in terms of our, intellectual disciplines so it was great we brought different things to the project but um now i have to i don't think like the little things don't bother me as much anymore and i just felt like i was i became kind of a different person like i don't care about smaller inconveniences and it made me see the world in a better healthier way and more grateful i'm much more grateful now and i think that was truly a gift and i'm grateful and more compassionate towards more people and understanding that everybody has a journey. Hmm. And, um, and I just love that because it's given me an opportunity to get to know really interesting people and about their journey. And, and I think that was a truly a gift. I, um, I actually have, we don't have this written down as a question, babe, but it's it's something that's kind of popped up during the course of the conversation. Um, she and, well, honey. Okay. And uh, mm-hmm. can you guys hear me okay, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Just want to make sure. Um, and this is this is a toss-up, so whoever wants to answer can answer. But how did you guys find the, the parents and the families that you talked to uh, during the course of uh, doing all your research? That's a great question. Yeah. Thank you. The HIPAA laws, right? That's a good question. Right. So – because of my, I am a mental health professional, so I know um, people who work in various parts of the country in mental health facilities. So I would, you know, put that put the message out. This is what we're doing. We're going to do this project. Here's what our goals are. If anyone, if you know any parents who can come forward, you know. Get, give them this information. So we had to wait for them to come forward. Now, a lot of them backed out. Um, a lot of fathers especially backed out. One of hmm. them did, we were able to talk to one father out of all of the people we interviewed, and he was great. He was a great um, interviewee. And um, he, um, so that's how we did it. They had to come to us, and we had them sign an anonymous agreement that our Lawyer wrote up a confidentiality agreement. We changed all their names and the location so that nobody could identify them. Um, and and hmm. so that was that was what we did. Cool. That's very cool. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like a really good way to do it. I I my head was kind of spinning when I was sort of thinking about how I would possibly find all these people to ask <laughs> all these questions of, but it, it's good. You know, I guess had a good way about it. Yeah. yeah. Also, as soon as you start talking about the project you're working on, 
people come up to, they approach you, and, and then after we had done a number of interviews, people came up to, and still today, Ellen and I will be out speaking at a speaking wow. engagement, and people will approach us and say, we want to talk to you, and we're like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a time when I, um, sat, I, I was traveling, and I was at a gym, and I sat down at my, you know, bike to do spin class, and someone next to me said, why are you a visitor? I, I'm, you know, are you new here? I'm like, yeah, I'm here to do this project. And she said, oh, I should talk to you. And that ended up being one of our interviewees. Oh, so cool. It was very interesting <laughs> how it all happened. Wow. So, um, Ellen, a question for you. You, We were talking a little bit earlier about about recovery, and I'm wondering what advice that do you have for someone who's been diagnosed and may feel that there isn't recovery in, in sight for them? Well, I like this topic because there is recovery. First of all, we have to say, you know, we use the word recovery when actually it should be talking, we should be talking about managing the symptoms. We mm -hmm. can, everyone who has a mental illness can learn how to manage the symptoms if they get the right treatment and and hopefully early early and evidence-based treatment so i think the first thing that people need they need good advocates a good team as we talked about earlier and uh, the team needs to get good information so that then they can get the best treatment that's possible with given their circumstances. Um, and that may or may not include medications. That may or may not include therapy. Everybody's different. Uh, everyone has a different journey. And different things work for different people. But everyone can right. somehow figure out how to manage the symptoms, like diabetes. You know, can mm -hmm. it be cured? No, but they can manage the symptoms. Sometimes, you know, it's exercise, good nutrition, good sleep, medication, and therapy, and sometimes it's some other formula, but in every case, there's an advocate or two or three advocates. So often, uh, when our son was hospitalized, we noticed that there were young adults in the hospital, and no one was visiting them. Mm -hmm. No one was there. <laughs> it's just like they would drop off their young adult, and no one would go see them. Um, and no one forget about them. Yeah, it, it was amazing. Uh, so, yeah, and Mary, you may have, I don't know what you want to add in there. Well, I think another, um, we were at a speaking engagement where somebody asked us, they said, um, my daughter was released from the hospital, and then they said they, they were in the hospital for like two weeks after a major event. Um, and the person said, and we just thought that the person was better. My daughter, I don't remember if it was a son or daughter. My daughter would be better and that she'd get better, but she didn't get better. <laughs> and, and, and nobody told them that it's a, it can be a long process and it requires patience and it requires, um, like Ellen said, finding the right evidence-based treatment that fits that person, you know. And one of the parents, um, the couples that we interviewed talked about they had one daughter who had severe depression and they 
were lucky that they had they they expressed gratefulness because they had resources that we were able to get her good treatment and they allowed her to lay on the couch basically for a year and they just let her do whatever she needed to do to get well and then she got well and she ended up getting a job and you know she she moved through and her recovery looked different than maybe somebody else's recovery but her recovery was just being able to get up every day and do like small things around the house until eventually she was able to move forward and get a job and and I think um, one of those things that Ellen and I really tried to do in our talks with other parents is to understand that and this is advice from another parent that they said look at improvement over the course of not just a week or two weeks but like a year and yeah. look at what you're look at how much growth look how much you've accomplished in a year compared to where you were and um, go focus on that aspect rather than focus on you should be with your other peers getting a college degree. No, that's not your your place. Where you you need to focus on your own where your own recovery is, and um, that was really helpful to a lot of parents that we t- we've been talking to. That reminds you know, me of an expression an expression I've heard um, lately that I really like, and it's um, it's don't let um, perfect be the enemy of good. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. you know, and that really, really, I, sometimes when I'm just getting frustrated about something, that will run through my head and I'll figure, hey, you know, everything's all right right now. Everything's good. You know, it may not be perfect, but, you know, we're okay. Yeah. So it's something that that's really hard to remember, but it, I think it's important. Yeah. I like that a lot. But we talk to um, psych nurses and what they tell us is we're really burning out because all Mm -hmm. we see is very, very ill people and we don't understand how they can ever get better. And so Mm -hmm. we talk about, um, well, once they're discharged from the hospital, there are many things they can do to reintegrate themselves into the community, um, but they need to have a lot of support and breath. As Mary said, that one family allowed their child to stay on the couch for a year and there are lots of resources such as um, the international um, club movement we, I don't know if you know about that the clubhouse, uh, I clubhouse I movement yeah <laughs> I was trying to think no I haven't heard clubhouse. of that yeah so mm-hmm. it's a place where if when once you're discharged you can go to a clubhouse it's called a clubhouse and just so that you are not, as a person with mental illness, you're not isolated. And we're talking about more ill patients, like with schizophrenia. And so they right. they are able to just socialize, maybe do some art, maybe go out and do one day of volunteer uh, until they're ready to go back to school or go back to work or whatever it is that they need to do. Or maybe they're just going to stay at the clubhouse for a few years and just hang out there and that's fine but at least they're not isolated because that is the big enemy in mental illness is isolation that's for sure yeah yeah that yeah. really i can connect with that for sure yeah 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 <laughs> um mary we could you to, possibly go, i'm sorry go, go right ahead, ahead. no no i'm nothing okay i was just gonna say can you uh, recall one of the most poignant stories from the parents you were speaking with? 
gosh, they're all, they were all so important to me, each one of them. Um, I, I can't single out any one being more poignant than the other, actually. But I think okay. that... Okay, well, that's stories, yeah. Yeah. Like trying to That's like trying to make her pick a <laughs> child. Exactly. You had the question, exactly. too. <laughs> um, exactly. Oh. No. <laughs> I know, but I'm not the one that asked it, so I can grill you. No, on it's that. a yeah. but I but I love the question because what I can say is that I think the stories that I really all of the stories that we actually end, that ended up in the book um, are stories from like Ellen mentioned that these these parents who were doing everything they could to help their child and that grit that they showed in trying to help their loved one was so profound to me. And that's all that, I mean, I think that's why they got into the book especially, but you know, um, and all of them talk about that when you're helping an individual who's living with a brain disorder, you're helping, you know, you're, it, it, it is, it does require support and advocacy. And I loved that the way that these parents did that, that they, the way they advocated for their, child and they admit they say you know I don't always do the right thing but I'm always working towards doing the right thing for them and mm -hmm. I think that was really amazing to me for sure oh we've got pardon pardon the peanut gallery here we've got we have a sick cat and she is letting us know oh, that's what it sounded it like right yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is Aww. yeah it's one of the things we've been dealing with the last few weeks is Trying to nurse her back to health, so. Oh. Hey, she found the treat. Give her a kiss. Well, <laughs> That's so another thing we talked about too: is pets. How important pets are for people. Oh, yeah. Um, everyone, not just a person who has an illness, but for anybody, how how important pets are for nurturing your own self and t self care. And a lot of people mm -hmm. talk about their pets were what gave them solace. So we're mm -hmm. we're on board with the animal thing. <laughs> yeah, yes, we are. Yeah. So self care is an important topic too. Yeah, you we know. talked it, a lot about that. And it's hard. Yeah. It's it's hard yeah. for at least in in my perspective, it the if I'm practicing self care, meaning I'm just kind of you know sitting up in, in bed watching a movie or whatever, just trying to relax. I have been conditioned by my folks early on to feel guilty about just sitting around not doing anything. And, you know, God bless them. I'm not mad at them. They were they were good parents, but they didn't want me just sitting around not doing anything. And so nowadays, yeah. if I do find myself mm -hmm. doing that, all I can think about is what should what I should be doing instead of what I am doing. Yeah. So it's a tricky, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, and half the time I have to tell her, hey, you know, you're alive, you're breathing, that's all that matters, you know, if stuff doesn't get done today, we'll get to it later, it's cool, you know. Wow, you're a great so, advocate. Yeah. Well, thanks. You yes, know, this, he is. <laughs> that's just the, but you know. But I think we, we can all relate to that, um, Mary and I, as you know, our sisters yeah. and our father was a doer. I don't think anyone ever ever saw him sit still, and he just was a big <laughs> production machine. And so, if we ever sat, we we felt guilty. 
So yeah, we can we can relate. <laughs> so what is next for both of you? Well, we have attempted to, um, <clears throat> and we'll just say it out loud here, Mary. Right. All right. We've attempted to get sisters and brothers, siblings of uh, people with mental illness, and ask them their perspective on what it's like to grow up with a sibling with mental illness. And we have found, we have interviewed several, but, but we're having trouble recruiting people. I think in the siblings' case, they feel a lot of guilt. They feel anger. They feel responsible for the person. There's so many different feelings. And they feel disloyal for speaking about their sibling. There's just so much going on. And some of them have escaped the whole scene, and so they don't, don't really go know back. all the facts. They don't <laughs> know the facts. So yeah. it's, it's, that's been a real struggle to get that project going. Well, I tell you what, if <laughs> I uh, I would probably fall into one of the, the category of one of the people you would interview because I had uh, four older brothers and an older sister, and two of my brothers are no longer with us now, very prematurely, um, oh. because of and uh, we have no contact with my other two brothers, and we just barely talk to my sister, and it's been wow. all about uh, it's all about drug abuse or or alcohol abuse or bipolar disorder. It's all anything you can think of. It's mixed in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it yeah. is hard. It's very difficult yeah. to come out and start saying all this stuff about your family. You feel like you're betraying somebody, but I understand I understand both sides of it, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, we I do, too. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, where is, is your book available at this time, and do you expect that you might write another one? Well, yeah, the the other one is the project that just doesn't seem to get off the ground about siblings. But this book is Behind the Wall, The True Story of Mental Illness as Told by Parents. can be found anywhere books are sold. Um, Amazon, it can be found on Amazon. It is also an ebook format as well as paperback. Yeah, cool. You can actually buy it directly from our website. Page, from their web page, it's with, yeah. which is www.behindthestories.com. Whatever is easiest for people, really. Okay. Yeah, or you could go to. You could, yeah. You could also go to any bookstore and or and ask for it, and they'll get it for you. Okay. So how about uh, just so that if anybody wants to reach out to you, what are the best social media links to connect with you? We have Twitter and Facebook. Uh, so the Twitter is uh, Witty W I D D I at Witty W I D D I one two three. Yeah, or you can just type in behind the wall and you'll get our logo and it'll pop up. I'm sure. Yeah. I think right. if you just go to behind the wall, you can get on our website and find the Facebook and find Twitter and um, and also contact. So I think Mary's contact is on there for sure. Okay. Yeah, and on our okay. website you can contact us um, through Facebook or our web or on our web page. I believe our email is on there. 
as well. And our blog. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds great. Well, we're just about round down on our time. Wow. Wound down? Round down? I can just Whatever works good. today. We, we've had a tough day. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just gonna let just gonna let you say whatever you want. Thanks, babe. I appreciate um, that. I want to say That's... thank you, thank you for all the work you're doing and spreading yeah. the word. Because the more that we can talk about mental illness, the more we will end, the faster we'll end stigma, and that will help the whole planet. Yeah. And I sure I'm, hope so. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating that. We are yeah. one in five of us are affected by mental illness all over the planet. So mm-hmm. yeah. you all are doing good work. And also give Thank your you. cat a hug. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, she's, yeah. Yeah. She's getting, she's getting lovings of all sorts. If you, if you follow me on, on Twitter, you'll see many pictures of her, even though she has her own Twitter. Yeah. Oh. She, has an, <laughs> she has an Instagram account, looking. too. I was just looking for that. If you're, if you're, uh, your cat is being posted now. Now I kind of recall it, seeing it. Yep, Princess yeah. Haley. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's sweet. our baby. <laughs> so. Well, you guys uh, stay on the line. Uh, we are going to get into our last song, which is "Into the Unknown" by Preston Wiggins. We'll see uh, you next weekend. Yeah, everybody, thanks for staying tuned for the uh, the whole two hours, and we appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. If you could just go 